0: Newton's first law of motion. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you know it already. If you haven't, let me remind you. Newton said, everything continues in a state of rest unless unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Maybe that's we, why we wrestle so much with change, because forces come upon us and press on us and force us into change, into Uh, places that we're not as comfortable with, into places we're not as at ease in. And so we fight against it oftentimes, and oftentimes it's difficult for us to change. Now, some people like change. Some people enjoy change and want to see it happen all the time. And some people hate change. And actually, the same change could be viewed in two different perspectives. We're going to see that today in the life of Jesus. As we go through the Gospel of Mark, we're looking at the story, the life of Jesus, and we're noticing different aspects of that. Uh, life of Jesus, his teachings, and particularly in regard to the cross and the crown, to the kingdom of God that is yet to come. We're going to see today two groups of people who look at some change in two different fashions, in two different ways, with two different responses. But we're going to see that Jesus says things are about to change. As a matter of fact, what we're going to see is our big idea for today, that Jesus brought a new kingdom. He claimed a new authority, And he demanded a new allegiance. There's a whole lot in that, and so I wanna unpack that a little bit, and let's talk about it, and let's read through this incredible gospel account. We find it in Mark chapter 1, and so you might want to begin to turn there, find it on your tablet on your phone, or it'll be on the screen in just a few moments. Let me set it up for just a moment, if I could, by reminding you where we were last week. Last week, we saw that Jesus introduced a new kingdom, that he he, he was early on in his ministry, not at the beginning of his ministry. Remember, Mark is short, succinct, and fast-moving. Mark doesn't begin in the First of the life of Jesus, Luke reports the birth. Matthew reports the genealogy because that's important to to the Jewish audience he's writing to. Luke reports the birth and 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 the more personal things that would become important to the Greeks that was his main audience. John just opens up by saying, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God." and and, and He's addressing the world and the salvation that comes to the world. But Mark, remember, is writing primarily to a a, a Roman audience, and he knows what their concerns are. He's getting right to it. He knows it has to be fast-paced. One of the key words in the Mark, Gospel of Mark is immediately, or right away, or now it goes. It's fast-moving. And so we see him begin in the early days of Jesus's ministry. He's in the Galilee. He, he told us last week that 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 John had been arrested and so he left Jerusalem he came to the Galilee and he began to preach and you may recall that he preached a powerful message that shook the known world it certainly shook the disciples world and anyone who heard it and really it shakes our world as well he said the time is fulfilled The time has come, is what he's saying. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel of God. And from that, we saw that he entered into, he began, he brought to fulfillment the kingdom that had been promised to the Old Testament prophets. Don't have time to unpack all of that. You can check out last last week's message and get some more detail. But the point is, he said, the time for the kingdom of God has come. This kingdom of God he was talking about is a futuristic kingdom, there's no doubt. We saw, we read some of the ancient prophets, and what Isaiah in particular said that we saw last week, we could clearly see this is futuristic, because right now, you don't see lions lying down with lambs, and you don't see kids playing in a cobra's nest. And so, yes, indeed, it is futuristic. We tried to clear that up, because Jesus said it's at hand, it starts now. And as a matter of fact, his resurrection that we celebrated last week, And by the way, we celebrate again this week. That's the cool thing about resurrection. It's not just Easter. It's every day that we celebrate resurrection. And so... At the resurrection, the kingdom of God is inaugurated. We had a couple of slides that may help you to see that. I don't know. Perhaps it does. I'm a little bit more visual. It kind of helps me. The expectation of the kingdom is that the old kingdom existed and then Christ, and then the old would be gone and the new would come. But in reality, it looks more like this. The old kingdom has begun and continues even to this day. Remember we talked about Two kingdoms that we live in. But the new kingdom has begun. It was inaugurated at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and yet it is not yet fully fulfilled. What we see is that the old kingdom is not yet dead and still tries to rule us and still tries to uh, to, to ensnare us. And the new kingdom has begun, has not yet come in its fullest, and we have not yet fully realized it. With all that in mind, Let's look at Mark's gospel, and let's see what Mark has to say. In Mark chapter 1, excuse me, I have something in my voice here. In Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 28, we read these words. They, that is Jesus and his followers, they went into Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is important because the Capernaum is the, is the place where Jesus made his home, most believe in the area of the Galilee. There are several little towns that dot the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. In the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee lies Capernaum. Peter lived there. James, John, Peter's mother is mentioned, lived there. And many believe that Jesus stayed in that house. So they went into Capernaum and right away, okay, there's Mark, immediately, right away, that's the idea, right away, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath And began to teach. Now, let me stop a minute because you may not recognize a couple of those words. The synagogue, what is that? A synagogue is a place of meeting for the Jewish religious folks. They would have, as long as they had 10 men, they could form a synagogue. A synagogue was not a place of sacrifice, that was the temple, it was a place of worship. They would come there to read scriptures, to comment on the scriptures, <clears throat> and to pray and to fellowship with each other. The synagogue very, very important. And so Jesus enters into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Very important. It was the day that they came to the synagogue. Actually, they would usually gather at the synagogue on Saturday, and again on Monday, and again on Thursday. And so he began to he came to the synagogue and. Mark says he began to teach. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? He began to teach. By the way, that synagogue uh, I, 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 I thought just comes to my mind or, or takes me back to a few years ago. Several times I've stood in that synagogue in, in Capernaum. Actually, I, I can tell you it really does exist. It really is there. In fact, you can still see it today. You can see the place where the synagogue is. It's been built over, but... The synagogue where Jesus was at is actually there too. It's an incredible thing to behold. So he goes into the synagogue and he begins to teach. Now we're going to focus today on these teachings because they're very, very important. We're going to see two different teachings that Jesus gives in this synagogue on two different occasions, but both of them mirror each other remarkably. Both of them offer new truth. A new idea, a new way of thinking and a new way of living. both of them are followed by a miracle or a sign, and we find gives some authority to what Jesus is saying, and then both of them receive a reaction from the crowd. All right, you ready? Let's go a little bit further. In the next verse, it says, "They were astonished." At his teaching. Now, another thing Mark loves to do is talk about these emotions. He uses the word astonished here. Later, we're going to see amazing. And so they were astonished at his teaching. Why? What was special? They hear teachers all the time. Now, you need to understand that the synagogue was a place of teaching. And so as the people would come, they would expect the rabbi to teach. This rabbi was not a priest. There's a different place. And, and sometimes it was layman, but it was always someone there to teach the scriptures. Often, Visiting rabbis would come into the synagogue and teach. So we're not surprised that when Jesus stood to teach or sat to teach, actually, and began to teach as a rabbi, the people were listening. Immediately they were astonished. They noticed something different. Why? Because he was teaching them as one who had authority. Now that is key to our study today. It is key to our study today because Jesus is going to begin to claim his authority as king. Last week, he established a kingdom. We talked about that. He called for this kingdom, and now he's making a claim that he has the authority to rule as the king. He taught them as one who had authority, and watch this, not like the scribes. There was something different about this teacher, and they knew it immediately. It says, just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, let's rest here just a moment. Here comes a man who is demon-possessed into the synagogue. Uh, It it doesn't seem that anybody's surprised or shocked. There's no word that there's a stir. How many times might he have been there? I, I don't know. We don't know. We could speculate. But when he comes in, he clearly has this unclean spirit, and Jesus speaks to this unclean spirit and is ready to cast him out. And watch this. The unclean spirit says, what do I have to do with you? Now watch. Here's what's cool. He identifies him two ways. Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy One of God. Immediately, that demonic spirit recognized the fullness of Jesus, his humanity, Jesus of Nazareth, and his deity, the Holy One of God. What happens next? Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, literally be muted. Interestingly, it's the same word that he used when he spoke to the winds and the waves. We'll read that at another time, but some of you remember that story where Jesus was in the boat with the disciples, and the storm came up, and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and he said, Be muted, be silent, be still, all the same idea, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, now here's the point, and came out of him. The demonic spirit, who who the others had no control over, now Jesus speaks to, and the spirit immediately obeys him and comes out. Read on. He says, they were all amazed. There it is again, astonished, amazed. They were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of the Galilee. So here we have this picture, right? Here we have this this important sequence that happens. Jesus comes and offers a new teaching. A miracle is performed wherein the people can immediately recognize his authority to teach and to preach. And then they respond. And in this response, they begin to spread his fame everywhere. Now, I want us to focus in on that idea of authority just a moment. You see, when Jesus was speaking, it was not like the others. The others would often quote. Maybe they might say, Moses said, or Isaiah said, or another rabbi would say. Maybe, maybe the rabbi Hillel would say. and They would quote someone. When Jesus spoke, he just spoke clearly. He didn't quote anybody. He didn't need the authority of someone higher, smarter, greater, more capable He just spoke, and here he is with authority. And then to prove his authority, he cast out the demon. Now, I just want to say here, just a quick side note, we need to be careful about miracles and our understanding of miracles. The miracles in Scripture all happen on purpose for a purpose. They all happen with a reason in mind, and Jesus used them in each case to teach something or to prove something or to speak of his authority as, in a greater sense, not so much over physical realm, but over the spiritual realm. Be careful of those who want to edify themselves, build up themselves. Be careful of those who want to profit from. <clears throat> Be careful of those who want to prove themselves from miracles. Understand, the authority that we have today is the authority that we enjoy from our Lord Jesus. So he's teaching and he's preaching and he's gathering the people. Now we're going to go a little bit fast forward into Mark, uh, into chapter 2 a little bit. We're going to go past some important events you can read later on your own. And I hope you're following our leading, our reading plan um, that we put up before. I hope you're you're walking along through other places. We can't cover everything. We're going to fast forward up to chapter 2, and we're going to see that Jesus is, call, is beginning to teach some major changes. This new teaching, this authoritative teaching, is also bringing some new ideas, some new thought patterns, and some new ways of approaching. So I want to talk to you today on this second chapter. I want to point out about four changes that Jesus makes in our thinking, four important lesson, kingdom lessons that we're going to come across. First of all, we're going to see that Jesus says he came to save sinners, not to compliment the religious. I know that may bother those of you who are religious, but it ought to encourage those who are not, right? He came to save sinners, not compliment the religious. He said in one of the passages that we just kind of passed over, he, he said, I didn't come to heal the well, I came to the sick. Jesus came to replace sadness with gladness. We'll talk about that in a minute. He came to introduce the new, not to patch up the old, really important truth. And he came to rescue sinners, not reinforce religion. All right? So let's begin to look at it. In chapter 2, we begin to read um, uh, in verse number 18. Let's read what he says. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. You know about fasting. I'll, I don't have time to develop that, but fasting is, some, is in a religious sense is more than just as we often think of it as a, a fad diet or whatever. Okay, But they were fasting. People came and asked him, Why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast?" Now, the first thing I want you to see is they're asking a very important question, and they're challenging something that has been in their tradition for many years. This is an old religion that dates hundreds and thousands of a thousand or more years early. The, this religion had the idea of fasting. There are places that we are commanded to fast at festivals, but the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, had added to the burden. They had added to other ways of fasting, regular times of fasting, regular days of fasting, mournful fasting. Part of their legalism, by the way, the thing that we see huge in this whole account is the the burden of legalism, the heavy burden of legalism. And now they're asking, so why is it, why is it that, that your disciples are not fasting like the others do? Jesus is very clear and he begins to, to to delve into this and talk about it in the next verses let's move on what I want you to see is that Jesus came the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus came to replace this sadness with a gladness of heart he came to 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 bring a sense of gladness to relieve them from their legalism it says in verse 19 jesus said to them the wedding guests cannot fast with the groom while the groom is with them can they as long as they have the groom with them they cannot fast but the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast on that day Jesus uses an illustration of a bridegroom. Now, they're very familiar with the connection of a bridegroom. They understand much about what's happening here. They understand the tradition. They understand the culture. And he says to them, why would the friends of the bridegroom, why would they be sad when the bridegroom is still with them? Wait till the bridegroom's gone. And then they will rejoice. Now, many believe, most scholars believe that there is a hint at his coming death and resurrection, but the point I think he's trying to make here is that he has come to replace sadness with gladness, that he's going to lift the burden of these traditions. He's going to leave lift the burden of their religious thought. He's going to lift the burden of all the things that have weighted them down. And said, "Wait a minute." You need to rejoice. Your Savior has come. The Messiah has come. We've entered into a new day, into a new kingdom, and there needs to be a new way of thinking. The groom has come. And By the way, they understood the language because their ancient prophets, the the scriptures that they read week after week in Sabbath at the synagogue, their scriptures told of, of, of a relationship of Uh, Of man of Israel and God as being like that of a husband and wife. That is that Israel was married to God. And so in that married state, Israel was to be faithful to God. In fact, many of the prophets said that Israel had committed adultery. Why? Because they had gone to be be faithful, to have a relationship with other idols, with other gods. And God said, you need to be faithful to me, one man, one woman, right? One lifetime. And so we see this connection. and, and, And by the way, I think that's a good connection because here's the thing we need to understand that our relationship with God is more than just a, a whimsical um, thought or idea, more than just a good feeling, more than just a fuzzy wuzzy feeling or thought or attitude. Our commitment to God is a commitment, it is a covenant relationship, and it goes deeper than just a simple belief, just a, a, a deeper than just a simple thought that, yeah, I'm a Christian and well, you know, I'm glad to be blah blah blah. No, no, it is a deep. Deep, deep commitment. The point Jesus is making here, however, I believe, or at least for the purpose of what we're looking at today, is he's saying we need to understand that there's a new day, a new way of thinking. Gladness replaced or sadness replaced with gladness. And then we, we go a little bit further and we see the second thing I want to talk about. The third thing, Jesus came to introduce the new and to not patch up the old. Look at verse 21. He continues to answer their question. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise the new patch pulls away from the old cloth and a worse tear is made. Jesus says you can't patch up the old. It just doesn't work. And we know that. We understand the word picture he's given us here, don't we? We understand that if you've ever tried to sew a new patch on an old piece of clothing, you understand it just Doesn't work. Jesus says you can't do that. And then he he takes this illustration a step further and he uses wineskins. Look at verse 22. He says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. What in the world is he talking about, Eddie? He's reminding us that he did not come with an intention of patching up the old, but to give new. Now, man, am I tempted to chase rabbits here and just go all over with this thought because it can be applied and it's so relevant to us in so many ways. First of all, your life. Listen, he didn't come to patch up your old life. He came to give you a new life. He didn't come to just patch up and make you a better person. He came to make you a new person. You see, I hear people all the time who are confused and who say, well, I'm trying, Pastor Andy, I'm trying to get my life together. I'm trying to be a better person. I'm trying to become a good person. Listen, God doesn't want us to be a good person. He wants you to be a new person. He wants you to have new life in Christ. Frankly, it just doesn't fit to try to patch up the old. That's why so many struggle. Maybe you struggled. Maybe you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you've lived this thought before. Maybe you understand what I'm saying. The truth of the matter is you can't fix up this old life. No matter how much you try to dress yourself up, it just doesn't work. Maybe it'll work for a day, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a year. But at some point, it fails. Why? Because you don't need to be a better person, you need to be a new person. He didn't come to patch up the old. And by the way, in a deeper sense, I'm convinced he's talking about the Jewish faith, the Jewish religion, the, the, this kingdom, the, the, this whole idea of kingdom that we're talking. About. He didn't come to patch up the old kingdom, he came to bring new. He came to bring a new fresh start, a new kingdom. And this new kingdom would be very much different from the old. Very, very important. He didn't come to patch up the old. He came to make new. And then finally, I love these verses. Jesus came to rescue people, not reinforce tradition. Look what he says in verse 23. On the Sabbath, now that's key, underlined. Remember we said, I don't know if I talked about the Sabbath earlier, so let me, let me refer to that real quickly. The Sabbath was a day of rest for the Jews. You remember, well, maybe you, you remember the Ten Commandments. Even if you're not a Bible scholar, you know about the Ten Commandments. And, and you know that right in the middle of those Ten Commandments is the command that the, to, to have a Sabbath, to, to, to not forsake or, or to not destroy or to not neglect the keeping of Sabbath, a day of rest, a day of worship a day to honor God. And so it's very important for them. Well, guess what? There's very little in Scripture that defines what rest on the Sabbath looks like and what work on the Sabbath looks like. There's only a few references. But through the years of history the Jewish rabbis, the teachers, began to put more and more restrictions. They began to define for themselves what what rest looked like and define for themselves what work on the Sabbath looked like. And before long, they had their own tradition. And this tradition, unfortunately, became even more important than the truth. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with tradition. We're not anti-tradition at all. But it is, imp- it is wrong when we put tradition ahead of truth. And that's what was happening here. Tradition. On the Sabbath, he was going through the uh, grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, here we're talking about tradition. Lest you think that Jesus is breaking the law. Okay, hold on just a minute. Actually, I don't have a lot of time to explain it, but in, in that day and in that culture, it was okay for people, poor people, to walk through a grain field and harvest enough grain for food, for immediate food. They could not carry with them a bucket. They couldn't carry a sack. They couldn't carry anything to take that harvest out of the field, but they were allowed to eat. What they're referring to is the tradition, the law of the Sabbath, the tradition of the Sabbath from the elders. Why is he breaking tradition, he said? Now, I tell you what, nothing stirs me any more than this, because I have seen so many times when people today in our culture get more disturbed over breaking a tradition than they do over breaking the truth. I've seen so many times when people are more riled because we break a tradition of man than we do over breaking the law of God. Enough of that. Let me get back on track. Verse 6, 23 5. He said to them, now he's going to answer, have you never read But David, (laughs) David, they knew David. Yeah, he had read of David. King David we're talking about here. Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest, and also gave some to his companions. Then he told them, Listen to his answer. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. We're back to authority. Jesus says, hold on just a moment. I'm not bound by your traditions. I didn't come to reinforce your traditions. We came to rescue people. We need to understand that. And I don't want to dwell too much here for time's sake, but I do want to say be careful when you follow traditions beyond following the truth. Well, we turn the page into chapter 3, and we find something happen. We find the second part. You remember I said these passages mirrored each other? There was the new teaching, and now Jesus is given a new teaching on the Sabbath and on his authority over the Sabbath, and now comes the miracle. Watch what happens. It says, Jesus entered the synagogue again. Okay, same synagogue there in Capernaum. Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. In order, and and evidently he's been there again. Evidently it's not a new thing. Evidently he's maybe one of the regular synagogue attenders. I don't know. He's there, but on this day something's going to change. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. They weren't watching to see if they would heal him. They were looking already to ensnare him or to find fault against him to see if he's going to heal him on the Sabbath. He can't do that. It's against our tradition. It's against our traditional law. Okay, look what happens. He told the man with the withered hand, stand before us. Now, what I really love about this is Jesus could have healed this man's withered hand at any point in time. He could have healed it the day before. He could have said, come back and see me tomorrow after Sabbath and... uh, We'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. He could have healed it any time he wanted, but he didn't. He didn't bow down to their tradition. He didn't buy, bow down to their accusations. He didn't bow, he's trying to teach them a lesson. He's trying to teach them there's new things coming. This new kingdom is different. And in this new kingdom, truth is more important than tradition. And people are more important than power. People are more important than programs, we might say today. People are more important and all these other things that you're worried about. He told the man, stand before them. Verse 4, then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? What's your tradition say? That's what he's saying. To do evil or to save a life or to kill. But they were silent. After looking around at them with his anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. You know what? I'm so tempted to go off here, but... You know what he he was grieved because they missed the point. They missed the point. There are so many places that we've missed the point today. I, I can't go through those. Think about that a little bit. Chew on that a little bit this week. Places where we just miss the point. He was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, Stretch out your hand. So he was stretched it out, and his hand was restored. There's the miracle. Now, the response. Immediately, there's our word, there's Mark again. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. So some liked the change and some didn't. (laughs) The change for the early crowd that we saw earlier in the first chapter, they were all on board. They were amazed, they were astonished, and they couldn't wait to tell all their friends about this guy. The second crowd, not so much. They didn't like the changes. They didn't like the new direction. And so they immediately began to think, How can we do away with this king, this prophet, this rabbi? Truth of the matter is, the kingdom of God is going to rub us. The kingdom of God is going to bring change. It's going to bring change in our thoughts and our ideals and our ideologies. It's going to bring change in our actions. As a matter of fact, it's going to affect our heart. It's going to affect our mind, and it's going to change our behavior, what we do. Why? Why? Because just as Jesus established or called out and and, and declared a new kingdom, just as he has claimed authority as the king, he has also demanded an allegiance of his people. And that allegiance is that we must live in this kingdom now. We must submit to King Jesus now. We have to live for him now. He is already king. We are already uh, invited to be his subjects. And now is the time for us to move. Well, I've got to bring this in for a landing, so let me give you a takeaway from today. I think it's important that we understand that a new allegiance demands a new way of living. It's great to learn about the kingdom. I'm glad you're excited to hear about the kingdom. But it's important that we learn how to live in the kingdom. How we learn that we learn about kingdom living and the changes that it brings. The changes in our ideas, our thoughts, our convictions, and our path. That's going to be coming in the weeks ahead. We've got six more weeks of this great study in which we can unpack some of this kingdom living ideas. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright said something that struck us this week. I'd like to share with you. He says, what Jesus is doing can't be fitted in the existing ways of thinking and living. If people try to do that, they'll have the worst of both worlds. He's saying you can't have your foot in one kingdom and the other kingdom. You can't ride the fence. You can't have your foot in the old kingdom and the new kingdom. If you do, and some of us do, you're miserable. You're going to be extremely miserable. And then he said, when God is doing new things, we should join the party, not grumble because the new wine is threatening to burst our poor old bottles. In other words, instead of crying over change and saying, we just don't want to go there, we ought to join the party. We ought to join in to what God is doing. Henry Blackaby put it this way. Henry Blackaby said, look to see where God is at work. And when you see where God is at work, join him in the process. He has invited you to join. Now let me wrap it up with this thought. First of all, Maybe the best news for some of you that came out of this message today is that God is inviting you to be a part of his kingdom and that he wants to not just patch up your old life. He wants to make you, give you a new life. Or maybe the best part that you've heard out here today is the fact that you're invited to join God in the work that he's doing. That you're a, you're, you're not only called to freedom, but you're called to be a freedom fighter. That you're not only just called to have your name on a register. You're in called to the work. Listen, the kingdom is not the church at work, but God at work through the church. And you're invited. So today, you can take advantage of either of those invitations. Today, you can come to Christ and say, Yes, Lord, I want to be a part of your kingdom. There are people right now waiting to help you with that. There are people right now waiting to pray. All you have to do is click on that spot on your on the website or on, on, on whatever um, platform you're looking at right now. But there's people waiting to pray for you, waiting to help you understand how you can become a part of that kingdom, and you can do that right now. It's your choice. Or if you're already part of this kingdom, you can take your foot out of the old kingdom, put it in the new kingdom completely, jump in, dive in, and become a freedom fighter, become a part of what God is doing in this kingdom work. It's your choice, and you can make it right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this moment today. To look into your word. I pray that right now you'll steer hearts to make the right decision. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.